Well, I already like being here because it's such a massive thing to put my stuff on. That's great. <laughs> um, you, in front of you, you'll turn that down if it goes too loud, I guess. Uh, in front of you, you should have your Bible open to Titus 1 and your uh, little outline inside you'll find it's pretty brief but it'll help you to see um, where I'm going. Uh, and the first talk on page one is the time has come to reorder the world. What I plan to do across these three talks today is to talk about the the overall heading is setting the world in order Um, and uh, we'll be going through the book of Titus, we'll be reading everything in in this very short letter. I I don't pretend to uh, be explaining everything today but I hope I'm going to be just picking the eyes out of the letter so that you'll be able to you know, see where it's going and get a feel for it so that when you go back and read the detail later on, um, I'm sure you'll, you know, that, that will be, uh, have been a helpful exercise for you. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful little letter um, and uh, I, think, uh, I hope you enjoy and hope you profit greatly from uh, what, what Paul has to say to Titus. And, uh, but in order for us to do that, let me just pray that the Lord might be amongst us. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to take time aside uh, from our various activities and ordinary life uh, to turn to your word. And we do pray that you'd be with us as we turn to your word today and help us to hear the the great things that are here uh, and to hear them not in abstract but to always hear them as being addressed to us in our particular circumstances of life. And we do pray, Father, as we've just sung, that you might speak to each and every one of us uh, somehow uh, across the course of this day as we turn turn to your word. We pray that you remind us of the great things that we might already know and believe and refresh us with these great things. But we also pray, Father, you might help us to see these things anew uh, and we pray this uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Setting the world in order is something that's sadly needed. And the time has come to reorder the world. That's what the Gospel tells us. This is the week after many, many years of uh, us knowing the troubles in in, uh, Afghanistan, Syria. This is the week that our own Prime Minister has said that what we're dealing with is something close to pure evil. It's interesting, isn't it, because if you're a Christian person, you've been listening to similar kind of things through the reports of our mission agencies for a long, long time. And nobody's been speaking up. This week, at last, it seems like, uh, from our, uh, one of our, ch- our highest official, we've heard that this is something that needs to be spoken against. Also, just recently it seems, uh, the, the problem has been named correctly and that is we have a world in which Islamic uh, militants, extremists is the word, are slaughtering Christians. Others too, but slaughtering Christians. Now, I don't know whether you're like me, but it's been surprising for me over, the, over a long, long time now to know from our mission agencies that this is happening and yet to have our media almost completely silent 
that the issue is Christians being killed. This is something secular Australia apparently doesn't want to talk about. We had a report in one of our Sydney papers about three weeks ago where a, as far as I know, secular journalist named the problem and said, why is it, and excuse me if you know, the right and the left spectrum, I don't mean to buy into that today, but I'm talking from her perspective, which is on the right, and she had this article which said, why is it that the, uh, the, the, the Australian left just won't name the problem that the biggest group of people in the world who are being persecuted right at this present time are Christians. Why do we keep on talking about cultural differences? Why don't we name the problem that it's Christians who are dying the world over? Okay? Now, maybe at last we are, is, which is good news. But I just wanted to bring this up to you this morning because it's our current world. I don't know about you, you read the newspapers and you wonder uh, what you can do it makes me feel very small. Um, I remember a, a CMS summer school some years ago uh, in, at Katoomba where they addressed the problem of uh, the, the Islamic rise in the world and this is supposed to help us. I went home depressed. <laughs> uh, it shows the faithlessness of my heart. But I spent a week to, spe- to, speak, to spend a week speaking about the rise of Islam and the force that this religion seems to have and the fury that it seems to have just depressed me and I wondered what I could possibly do in the face of such a world. Now of course that's how brothers and sisters have to, elsewhere are facing this on a daily basis in a way that we never do. Or here I am in my isolated you know, Australia in my armchair getting depressed. Well imagine if I was sitting there where they are. You know? This is The world needs to be set in order, doesn't it? But what can we possibly do about that? That's just one problem that we know of, a big one at the moment. All the other raging problems in the world, sometimes we can feel so insignificant and sometimes as Christians we can feel so insignificant too. Uh, That's why I illustrate by saying how it's only just recently that it's even been named in our secular press that Christians are the ones that are suffering. It's almost like no one really cares about that. Oh, it's only Christians. We can lose a few of those. Um, It's very easy to feel insignificant when you see the forces that are around in the world that seem to be so powerful and when you belong to your particular congregation which seems to be so pathetic, uh, which seems to be at the edges of society. I wonder whether you feel like that. Well, if you feel like that, you've come to the right spot today. Because what Titus tells us is that you, not just you as a group, but you as individuals, uh, are at the centre of God's purposes for the world. You mightn't feel like that, but that's where you are. You mightn't act like that, but that's where you should be. You're at the centre of God's purposes for the world. And what's he doing? He's reordering the world, reshaping the world. He's setting the world in order. And when is the time to do that? Right now. So that's what Titus chapter 1 will show us. God, uh, Paul writes uh, to Titus with a distinct purpose. So that's my first uh, heading there on your sheet in case you wonder where I am. I'm nowhere yet. <laughs> Number one, a distinct purpose. 
And of course, at the beginning of every letter of Paul, he, he, he says who's writing and he says who's writing to, which is great for us to, um, to get oriented. And here we see as we, we enter verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who's he writing to? Down in verse 4, to Titus. My true son in our common faith. So this letter is named after the recipient of the letter. Uh, Paul to Titus. Paul and his younger friend. Now we know about both these people from elsewhere in the New Testament, but here's where we get a really good look at their relationship, uh, Paul's relationship with Titus, as he tells, he equips Titus for the ministry that he's left him for to do on the island of Crete, as we'll see. Paul the Apostle. We get used to these words, don't we? I mean, sometimes it's worthwhile stopping and thinking about what they mean. An apostle is someone who's been sent by someone else. And so Paul the Apostle is the apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's sent by Jesus Christ into the world with a distinct purpose. That makes him an apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a sent one. And of course we know from elsewhere in the New Testament Paul doesn't flag it uh, much here in this letter, but we know that he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Just before we, were, we, were, we came in I was talking to someone out there in the supper room and they said that Titus got a, pretty, a bit of a rough trot, Ken down here. Uh, my reply was, well, you know, the apostle himself got a bit of a, bit of a rough trot, don't you think? I mean, 12 apostles to the Jewish people, one apostle for the rest of the world. <laughs> I always wonder what Paul thought about that on the road to Damascus when the Lord said, that's what your job is, okay? And he wondered, you know, he, he, he struggled through it every now and again. But he was the apostle to the Gentiles. That is, if you don't have any Jewish blood in you, Paul is your apostle. I don't. Um, and uh, so he's my apostle. And we need to keep on remembering that. Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles. That means if you understand something about Paul and the distinct purpose for which he was sent by the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, then you'll understand something about yourself because he's your Apostle. The Apostle to the Gentiles will help us to understand what he wanted the Gentiles to be doing. So what is this distinct purpose? Let's, let's press on and, 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 un, and try and understand uh, a little bit more about Paul and us. Notice what Paul says here, his distinct purpose. Uh, he's sent as an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Three things there. To further their faith, the faith of God's elect. Faith, of course, is putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's everywhere in the New Testament. That's what the world is called to do. God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Trust is the human response to what God has done. And Paul is sent with this faith of God's chosen people in view to further the faith, to, to encourage trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice he goes on, and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Truth is the second thing. There is truth. Despite so many uh, forces and factions in our world uh, undermining the very quest for truth, there is truth out there. 
It doesn't mean that we've all that any individual has it all, but there is truth out there, and notice this truth is a truth that leads to godliness. That's the kind of truth that Paul is interested in. The truth about God that leads to a character change to make us like God. The truth that leads to godliness. Can you see the three things that Paul's distinct purpose he's seeking, to, he's seeking after? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge of the truth of God because that will lead to godliness. Okay? Godliness, being like God. And I wonder whether when you come along, this, it's great that you're here today and I'm sure you've got all kinds of reasons why you're here, but here's three that might be worthwhile putting in, in amongst all those other reasons why you're here. To come along to have your faith in Christ strengthened and encouraged and furthered so that you might grow in the knowledge of the truth of God and so that you might go away transformed to be a little bit more like God, godliness. Because that's, what Paul, that's why Paul wrote this letter. That's his purpose for being sent as our apostle. And if that's what his purpose is, then on our side, um, let's do him a favour and try and uh, go along with the program. Okay. Because, as I said at the beginning, Paul's, Paul has been sent for a purpose and as we understand his purpose, we'll understand something about ours as well. And God is setting the world in order by the sending of his apostle. It was one of the things he did to set the world in order. And as Paul promotes faith, knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, so he is setting the world in order. And that's where we come in as well. But what about Titus? What does he say about Titus? You don't learn too much about Titus in this letter, but we learn in verse 4, my true son in our common faith. Uh, he gives a greeting, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. You know about Titus a little bit uh, from elsewhere in the New Testament, actually quite a bit, but he's one of those, uh, to me he seems to be one of those minor characters of the New Testament. You, you just wish you knew a little bit more. <laughs> There's something but not enough, um, but um, maybe uh, you can put it down in your to-do list for when you get to heaven to go and have a good chat with him and find out a little bit more. It's certainly on my to-do to -do list. But what we hear, he, he, what Paul calls him here, my true son, so there's an affectionate Christian relationship between these two men. He's one of Paul's co-workers. Um, there's, there's, uh, if you think about it like this, there's Paul over here, the apostle to the Gentiles. There's the churches over here, the Gentile churches that are under his um, supervision or direction or, or care or whatever you want to call it. And in between, you've got this whole range of co-workers that were sent to various parts of the Mediterranean world to take Paul's teaching to the congregations and Titus is in the middle there. He's left in Crete, we see in verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete. And so he's, that's, that's his little patch. Uh, Paul's travelling companion, a go-between between Paul the Apostle and the churches and he's left in Crete. And notice he had a, a distinct... Uh, sorry, Titus himself is left with a distinct purpose when he goes to Crete, verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished, and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. Two things, put everything in order and appoint elders. Now those two things go together, of course, but put everything in order and appoint elders. Now, of course, if you haven't seen it already, this is the verse that I'm getting my title for the day on out of and my title for this first talk out of as well. Set in order. Put in order what was left unfinished. 
and appoint elders. They're the two things. We're going to pick through that uh, as, as we go uh, through. Now, where am I on my outline? So far, just point one. <laughs> a distinct purpose. Paul sent with a purpose. Titus left on Crete with a purpose. And if we understand both those purposes, we will understand something about ourselves as well uh, because we'll be understanding something about God's purpose for the world. Well, we'll be here all day if we don't press on to point two, so the, the, the point two, the great plan of God. You see, behind these various purposes lies the purpose of God. God, the sovereign creator and redeemer of this world, has a purpose for his world. And he, he's been working at his purpose since the beginning. And he will keep on working at his purpose until the end. And part of that purpose is the sending of the Apostle Paul to the Gentiles and leaving, uh, Paul leaving Titus on the island of Crete. And so we, 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 behind the, these various purposes lies the great plan of God. And behind the purpose of uh, his elect people, his chosen people, growing in, uh, in their faith, in their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, that's part of his purpose as well. So you and I are part of a great plan of God. And uh, there is a great plan of God. Now what I want to say before, at, at the beginning of this little point is that this is not a usual way to think that there is a plan of God directing the affairs of this world. And I must confess, when I read my newspaper or watch the news at night, I sometimes wonder whether this is true. Because everything that you see reported through the news, what does it speak of in our world? Plan? Purpose? Direction? Steady movement towards a planned goal? No. <laughs> it speaks of chaos, randomness, uh, might, uh, uh, having its way over those who are weaker. It doesn't seem to speak of plan and purpose and a good goal for this world, does it? What are people doing uh, in Australia? You know, where do we spend our money? I haven't got any figures for you. I always forget figures anyway. But, so I make, the, you know, as they say, 95% of stat statistics are made up on the spot. <laughs> so if, I'm, if I gave you figures, I'd make it up. But you know, gambling in Australia is huge, isn't it? New South Wales it is at least. I think our government runs on it, so I've been told. What's, what's the principle behind gambling? Chance. Randomness, not planned purpose of God, but randomness is behind gambling. If I buy my ticket, fate or chance will uh, flutter in my direction and all of a sudden my life will change. Randomness. See. Um, when, we get, when, when we have reports of the uh, you know, violent people doing things, it seems random as well. Which, which breeds anxiety in, in us as well. Now, chaos is the... Randomness seems to be the usual prevailing uh, view of how the world is operating. If, and over the years, uh, even at, at the time of, the, of our New Testament, philosophers had already, de already debated and continued to debate about how the world operated. And on the one hand, you, you had people that said there was fate that there was a destiny for each individual. And on the other hand, you had philosophers and others saying, no, no, it's all random, it's all random. It's all about chance and luck and fortune. And you had the various, you know, in a polytheistic world, you had the various gods that represented either side of that spectrum. One was fate, 
Another one was uh, you, you know, uh, even stronger than fate, implacable necessity. Not just that there was a destiny that you find, but you couldn't escape from it. It was necessity. Um, and over here you had, no, no, fortune. You know, just things were dropped in your lap from time to time, depending on whether you turned left or turned right. So for centuries, human beings have been trying to work out what keeps the world going like it is. Here we see in Titus, it's all a great plan of God. And what I want you to notice here, in, this is in the opening verses, uh, notice there's a time frame here in what, behind Paul's purpose, behind the purpose of Titus as he left on Crete. Let's go back to verse 2. Uh, why is Paul, the apostle, on about faith and knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness? Well, notice what he says. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and now, and which now, at, this, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. There's a time frame here. And notice where Paul begins, with the future. In the hope of eternal life, he says, with the future. This is such a Christian thing. <laughs> this is such a New Testament thing. That the beginning of understanding your life and mine and the world is to think about where we're going, the future. There is a hope of eternal life. This might seem weird, but this is hope drips from the New Testament. Now, in the ancient world, the world to which Paul was writing, even those people who were natives to Crete, they knew about hope. Hope was a goddess, not a god. Uh, and both the Greeks and the Romans had the goddess hope. But you know what? She wasn't very well liked. <laughs> Why? Because if you get your hopes up, what happens? You get disappointed. Okay. And the ancient world, just like our friends and neighbours, knew this very well. Um, and in fact, some of the philosophers in the first century actually argued that if you want to have a better life, You've got to get rid of two things. Try and get rid of them out of your life. One is fear. Okay, we understand that. And the second is hope. <laughs> Have a better life. Don't be hopeful. <laughs> because as soon as you get your hopes up, you get disappointed. So get rid of those hopes. Have no expectations for the future and you'll be better off. <laughs> I mean, it sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But in fact, it's in a sense realistic. Okay? They're, they're aware... Uh, these philosophers were aware of how often the random world that seems to pivot between fate, necessity and chance and luck and fortune, so often that world let us down if we get our hopes up because there didn't seem to be a plan or a purpose or any rhyme or reason that, was, that looked like it was good for human beings. Well, that's not the Christian gospel. Paul opens, he, he has a purpose as the Apostle because in the hope of eternal life we have a future because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has restored a future to the world beyond the grave, a future that speaks of resurrection from the dead, from the dead, just like he rose from the dead. There is this future, eternal life, the kingdom of God, uh, where truth and justice and righteousness will prevail, where all pain and injustice will disappear. This is the future and this is where Paul begins. Then just go, notice that this, this future, however, 
uh, the plan of God which tells us about this future, which God is working towards that future, stretches way back. Look at verse 2 again. In the hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. (laughs) So he hasn't been taken by surprise by anything in this world and never is. He's got a future, eternal life for his people, and he's been promising this from the beginning. In fact, before the beginning, before the beginning of time. So we've got the, the, if the future, eternal life, the far distant past, God's promise of eternal life, and what do we have in the middle, in the present time? Well, let's read on. And which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to life through the preaching entrusted to me. I mean, Paul, are you some kind of megalomaniac? (laughs) What are you talking about here? You've got this pitiful little message, a message about this crucified Jew. Crucified, in all the shame that that means. This is your message, Paul, and you're saying that the, the, the grand sweep of history that goes from before time, God promising eternal life, through to the end of time, the eternal life arrived, has all been manifest in that little message. Well, yes, that's what he's saying. So in terms of the grand plans for the world, the message about Jesus Christ is at the centre. All of those plans for God are manifested in the preaching, that is, in the message, in the preached message, uh, so ordinary... You know, uh, we go to our churches, uh, tired, cranky, whatever it might be, and the minister stands up and does what he's done, what Christian ministers have done for centuries. <laughs> it seems to be so ordinary, uh, you know, in terms of the great events that our newspapers are reporting, it seems to be not even reportable, even though in the early, Chris would probably tell you in the early colonies they were always reported, but not anymore. <laughs> but see, what's happening in the preaching in the message, in your Bible study group, in your personal Bible reading, is at the centre of the world. Because that's where God's plan for the ages is manifested, is made known, is made clear. And as that plan for the ages is made clear in the preaching, in the message, so the world begins to change. So there's my second point. The great plan of God, promised way back, about the future, way ahead, and it's all manifested in the present through the preaching. Now, what does this preaching bring about? What does this message bring about? Um, Before we get to the elders and the counterparts, I just wanted to uh, look in verse 5 at one more thing about uh, about, about what's happening. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. Chapter 1, verse 5. Now... uh, just as a little bit of a bonus, I want to teach you a bit of Greek this morning, if that's all right. You know the New Testament was written in it. So there's a very interesting word here that's epidiothoo. Everyone say that? Epidiothoo. Oh, very good. What a good class you are. <laughs> now you would have heard the last bit, orthoo, from language like if you've paid lots of money for your children's teeth, orthodontistry. It means to straight. I thought it meant to, actually the literal word means to straighten up your teeth. Having had several children, we're going through the process. I think it means to loosen your teeth for a lifetime. <laughs> but at least they're straight <laughs> as they're moving around. Uh, or you might have heard orthodox, straight teaching. You know, thinking straight. So that this is about straightening things up. 
Now, with Greek, it's, it's nice. You can put a little preposition, that's a very small word, on the front of a verb, and it, it, you basically tra- it intensifies. You basically transla- translate it thoroughly, right? So, epi de ortho has two prepositions on the front of it. So, it's, Paul's saying, I left you on Crete to straighten things out. But then he adds two prepositions. I left you on, street, on Crete to thoroughly straighten things out. No, no, to thoroughly, thoroughly straighten things out. So, he thinks things are a mess. And he wants... Titus to straighten it out. Now sometimes when you, uh, this has been understood as uh, the problem being that Crete had, a lot, had some false teaching around it. We know that's, going to, that's true because that's in the rest of the chapter 1 which we'll pass over fairly quickly uh, this morning. But, uh, but I want to suggest to you that in fact there's something bigger going on. Titus is not just left on Crete to sort out the problems of the false teachers who happened to be there at the time. He's left on Crete because now is the time to reorder the world. Now I wanted to show you this because this word is not very common in the, in the New Testament but if you turn over with me please to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 10 Hebrews chapter 9 verse 10 Now, you won't see it very easily in your English versions, of course, but I want to assure you that in this verse that we're about to read out, there's a related word to epidiortho, to your newfound Greek vocabulary. And listen to what Paul says over in... It's not Paul, uh, Hebrews says over in Hebrews 9.10, talking about the Old Testament regulations, they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Or some versions have it, until the time of reformation. That's the epidiotho-related word there. You see? And what's he talking about? There's the Old Testament, there's the Jewish regulations, there's the washings, there's the sacrifices, and they're all pointing ahead to the time of reformation. And what brings about that time of reformation? The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why was Titus left on the island of Crete? Because Jesus Christ has come. And now is the time of reformation. And you need to go to Crete, Titus, and reform. You need to bring the time of reformation that the gospel of Jesus Christ in the preaching, manifesting the plan of God for all time has brought to this world. You see, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, now is the time of reformation. Now is the time to thoroughly, thoroughly straighten out the world. Yes, that'll that'll mean dealing with false teaching. That's part of it. But there's another side to it too. This is the time to reorder the world because the Lord Jesus Christ has come. Now, I need to uh, press on. We've, We've done three verses. That's not too bad. Or even five verses. That's not too bad. Um, I notice my time's slipping away, but that's okay. I didn't have much more to say anyway, and I'll leave a lot of it, a lot of chapter one for you to read and digest later on. I'm just picking the eyes out of it. The elders and their counterparts, number three. See the the reordering of the world. The, see when, when God's plan manifests in the preaching, this preaching tells of the eternal life to come, of the plan of God, the promise of God before time. And at the centre, the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this preached message calls upon us what were the three things? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Here is the way the world is going to be straightened out thoroughly through this preached message. As people believe it, as they know the truth and as their lives are transformed into lives to become like God, this is where the world is being straightened out. Okay? So that's the, 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 the preaching is the means to that end. And of course the reordering of the world begins, as, as uh, Paul's instruction in verse 5 goes on, with the reordering of, of people in local groups, in congregations. It doesn't start at the top. We think, it, we think like it's the top, don't we? It doesn't start with the, the massive political things. It starts with you, in your congregation. And so you can see why it's so important to have pastors in congregations that are, are ready to reorder, uh, to help people to reorder their lives. And this begins with, the, with, the, with the, the, the elders. And that's why Titus is to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This was the strategy of Christian mission for at least four centuries. The apostle sends the, the go-between like Titus who sets, who sets up and there's a whole range of those missionaries that kept on raging around the countryside for those four centuries. But then they set up local eldership very quickly. Um, this was the pattern of, of Christian um, mission. And you can see that he then lists out qualities of life, uh, godliness, of these elders that, that need to be, to, to, to be appointed. And uh, you can see the reasons why he gives this too because then the people who are going to be helping others reorder their lives need to be people whose lives are being reordered themselves. And so let's give this, uh, this list uh, a quick go over. As I directed you, an elder must be blameless. That means he's not capable of being charged with anything. Okay? It's a very legal sort of term. Uh, faith, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not, open, are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, that word again, not able to be charged with anything, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, nor violent, nor pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, on the positive side, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. His life has been reordered by the message that he's been taught and that he's now to bring to the congregation. And that message in verse 9 will be something to encourage others by sound doctrine, healthy doctrine and also something that will help him to refute those who oppose it and the elders always have that, that uh, dual role. Now um, Paul is here addressing Titus about elders um, but you can see it has relevance for all of us whether or not we're an elder because the elders are to be something of a model of the Christian life and so here we can also see their transformed life uh, is an indication of our transformed life as well, the reordering that the gospel message brings. Um, of course, I could say a lot more about any, every one of those uh, qualities, but my time is uh, gone, so we, we won't say any, anything anymore. To get to my last point, setting the world in order, um, I uh, 
uh, I've also at the end of the the end of the chapter, chapter verses 10 to 16, you'll see that uh, it, Paul talks a little bit more about uh, those who need to be refuted by the by the elders as well. But just to step back and summarise a little bit of, uh, uh, of, of some of the things of what I've said, uh, God's plans are to set this world in order. Uh, God's plans, starting at the promise way back before time, looking towards the eternal life still to come, centering upon the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, God's plans continue for this world. Jesus Christ came, appointed 12 apostles, then Paul. Paul appointed Titus. Paul, uh, Titus set up elders. And this chain continued all the way down through history until we arrive at La Trobe uh, 2014. Okay. It still continues. God's plans are still being worked out. And we too have a distinct purpose in our little corner of God's harvest field. Don't be discouraged by the big things that seem to be happening in the world because the reordering of the world begins with you. How does that begin? Well, re what about your own life? We'll do more of this as we go on this afternoon. Uh, where, where are you still disordered in life? Where do you need the ordering of God's gracious message of eternal life to shape you a little bit more? Where do you need that uh, reordering in your relationships, your friendships, um, you know, your business practices, whatever it is? Reorder yourself by this message of Jesus Christ. Uh, reorder your where, do your... where do your wider relationships need to... Um, be reordered by the message of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. What about your neighbours and your friends, your workmates? Uh, people that probably no one else in this room would have contact with, you see. There's like a harvest field that you're standing in and only you are standing in that harvest field. How can the preaching, which is at the centre of God's plans and purposes for the world, come with you into that little part of the Lord's harvest field and be let loose so that your friends and neighbours and workmates might also hear about Jesus Christ and the time of reformation. Friends, God does have a grand plan. You have a part in it and you should never feel insignificant because you're not. Uh, God has called you to himself, given you faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, given you knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and he wants you to take your part in his grand plan that stretches way back and way forward and centres now around the preaching of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. More of that this afternoon, about what that might look like, but let me just pray and um, yes, slightly apologise to Chris for going over time. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you very much for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for bringing us to yourself. Please help us all to find great encouragement in knowing that you have a plan for this world and that we are part of it. And please help us not to be discouraged, but please help us to reform ourselves as we become those who take the message of reform to the world. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.